Hey, 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 what's up, La Familia? You crazy football-loving nutters. This is Ray Hudson, and you are luxuriating and listening to the Inter-Miami podcast with a stupefyingly magnificent Jay and Alex, two lads who are as electrifying as a hairdryer thrown into a hot tub. Stay tuned, because you know what it's going to be. It's going to be magisterial with an amplifier. Welcome, everyone, to uh, the Inter-Miami Podcast and the IMCF Traveler chat crossover we're doing. Still out of town, uh, so nowhere near any quality recording instruments. Than is dealing with some serious uh, throat sickness of his, and he can't really talk. He sounds like Satan when he does, so he's going to take some time off uh, to recover. But Trav and uh, Jorge, how are you guys doing? Right. You know, can't complain. Uh, happy to be back for... Another episode after taking over last week, so uh, happy to be back. Yeah, uh, you know, thanks for the invite and you know for letting us uh, you know take over last week. But um, you know, excited to to get into it. You know, yeah, been a lot a lot's happened since last week. A lot has happened since last week, and you know, for but from both Dan and I, thank you guys so much. It's been uh, kind of strange times. I had to leave a little bit unexpectedly, uh, and just was low-key kind of nervous about not being able to get a, an episode out so thanks to you guys for even you know proposing the idea you guys did a phenomenal job and uh really really enjoyed it well thanks man it's our pleasure yeah you know we're no we're no jay or than but you know we're good on your study <laughs> stop it well uh yeah i mean ob- the obvious news here is we're back above the playoff line truly seems like our destiny's in uh in our hand and another classic Added time thriller, three goals to two goals, and really the first time we've been able to, to see both Iguain and Capana uh, play together and, and really have some beautiful interplay and uh, really, really has me excited for the rest of the season as we push into the playoffs here. And, uh, you know, guess we'll start with the game. Uh, man, what a, what a nice game. Obviously, some unfortunate events that happened, but feels good to be back above the playoff line and feels good to see the boys still fighting, competing, not giving up, and even working through the adversity, which I'm sure we'll get in here to discuss uh, in a little bit. Just super high-level kind of overview. What were your some of the, the biggest takeaways you guys had from this uh, this game? And if you want to speak, you know, I'm not super familiar with Twitter spaces. I know Trav and, and Jorge is. I think we just – you raise your hand or something like that and we invite you up. So if there's anything you want to say or contribute, feel free to throw your hand up and – Oh, Dan's here as well. Look at this. Look at us. Look at us, guys. Well, I guess, um, I mean, I guess Trav and I both were there live, as was Dan. Um, But watching it live, it felt like early on the midfield was really disconnected. um, And they weren't playing typically well. Uh, Rewatching it when I got home, I actually didn't feel as bad about it. Um, but overall, you know, a back and forth game, um, 
you know, mistakes led to goals, but their mistakes led to goals and in really just an enjoyable, enjoyable Sunday, um, all things considered at the end. Um, really exciting to see Pozuelo, Iguain, and Campania all on the field at the same time um, and to get an idea of what that could look like in this playoff run. Yeah, I mean, I agree, you know, being there live. Uh, the probably first, like, 20 minutes or so, that midfield did look shaky. There were a lot of misplaced passes, a lot of just poor decisions by various members of the midfield. But once they got going, and especially after uh, Benteke's goal for DC, we really started to see them click. And, you know, it started with the Gonzalo to Campana corner kick and goal to tie it up. And then the right away in the second half, the uh, Jean Mota to Campana kind of broken play where Campana headed it back to Pozuelo that led to the kind of op- the goal that gave Miami the lead and kind of put us in control of the rest of that match. So. Uh, yeah. A lot of positive takeaways, despite a kind of messy start. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I was watching a good majority of the game driving to and from the airport because I was dropping Chloe off. But those Campana goals, man, I mean, that first one, just class finish, putting it, you know, almost to the roof of the net uh, where it was unstoppable. And then that sliding, you know, he's obviously left-footed, so that, that's a more natural hit for him, but still an impressive slide to really eke it, just, just kind of kissing off the post by the hand. Very, very uh, impressive goals. And, uh, you know, that Benteke goal, man, who that thing was, that was a beautiful cross in there. I know that, you know, was that, it was Damien Lowe. I think it was, it was a little sleep at the back to, to let that through. But, uh, you know, good, good way for him to open up his account as well in the MLS. And, uh, you know, that, that's, they're struggling right now, especially we'll see what happens with the, the taxi shakeout. But at least it seems like, they're, they're going to be okay. I think Rooney's going to be able to, to turn it around over there. And then, uh, you know, just classic inner Miami didn't hold the lead for long, right? Uh, came in and uh, Funches was able to, to, to draw it even. And then we kind of go neck and neck, fight down the, uh, the finish there for um, what seemed probably one of the happiest moments of, of Gonzalo Higuain's career with, uh, with inner Miami. Uh, and all in all, man, I mean, just again, just, just not giving up, uh, struggling a little bit early on. Uh, a little bit of broken play there. Seemed like we didn't really have our uh, confidence and uh, kind of consistently consistency levels that we've seen in prior games. But you know, hey, that, that's that's the sport right there. And as long as you can, uh, you know, go go into halftime, restructure, regather, come out, keep fighting. I mean, it was really after that uh, after that goal to to equalize one one after Campana's first goal. It, it, everything got a, a lot more. Uh, composed and, and more structured. And it was just a, a really, really good finish. Uh, I think I scared a few people watching on my phone and then yelling as I was out in public after seeing Gonzalo score. And, uh, you know, here we are, man, three games out. Uh, obviously, there was that pretty disheartening incident between uh, Taxi and, and Damien Lowe. Um, you know, I was I was actually kind of a, a pretty big taxi fan. I really have liked everything he's done, especially this season, right? You know, coming into the league and, and really just being dominant. But man, you talk about one moment to really 
self-assassinate your character. And I know that, you know, the MLS is investigating it and nothing's come of it and he's denied it. But I mean, you we, you know, especially in the discord, I think I saw articles shared from just about every major media outlet you could think of, right? It wasn't just your bleacher report, uh, you know, or, or, you know, a daily sport or whatever, you know, the typical ones you'll see covering sports. I mean, you know, it was CNN, CNBC, Fox news, right. And it, it's, it's a, it's a black eye on the, on the league and the sport. And I, I just hope that it's investigated. And uh, you know, if everything is as what I think all of us kind of already know it is, you know, I hope there's pretty harsh actions taken and uh, you know, they can kind of use this as a, uh, as an example of what's going to happen if someone slips up and lets that evil side of, of the personality come out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I fully agree. I mean, it just, you talk about one moment becoming kind of a defining moment for a player. And sadly, it seems like for Taxi, who even I, you know, I really liked what he did when he came into the league. He kind of killed it for a uh, DC side that didn't have a lot going for him this year. He really kind of just shot himself, not even in the foot, but just straight in his own chest by letting just one moment of insanity slip. And oh, it's been covered by literally everybody. I don't think I've ever seen something in MLS get covered this widely. You know, we've seen you know, CNN, Fox News, pretty much every single major outlet cover this and say this happened. So it's really disheartening to see. It's going to be very interesting to see what the league has to say. I know a lot of Inter-Miami players are quite interested in it. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin was quite outspoken. Drake Callender's on, I believe, the board for the Black Players for Change. So it's going to be very interesting to see what comes of this investigation. Yeah, I mean, we saw a lot of very calm, collected, super mellow dudes get very, very upset. And, you can, you know, I, I don't think anyone's ever seen Mabika be anything but super humble and super gentle and he was clearly visibly upset uh, yeah man Mabika you know. was fuming fuming yeah yeah and you got Yedlin and you know Calendar who are so big into uh that zen lifestyle that meditation the the respect you know for everything around them and you know and low even you know has that kind of similar mindset and all of these dudes were rightfully very upset and very angry and that's why I think most of, of the inner Miami fans know that, you know, this happened, you know, right now, DC is trying to act like, no, it didn't happen. It's a false accusation, but to see those types of dudes who carry themselves in that certain way, get, get very worked up about this. It, it leads you to think that it happened exactly as they're describing it. Yeah. I got to be honest with you, Jay. That's how I knew something was up in the stands is when I saw uh, Mabika start heading towards the, the fray there. And I was like, well, He's not one to really jump into something unless it's something. And then everybody started kind of, I don't know, doing, like, getting in on it. And then, I don't know. It, the thing that sucks for me is, you know, being a parent, you got to try to explain a situation that you shouldn't have to in this day yeah. and age to to somebody. Um, 
because you know Riley was instantly asking me questions, and it it was one of those things that I I just wanted to go out and enjoy a a game, and it's unfortunate we still have to talk about this in 2022. Like it's. I don't know. I mean, hopefully, as you guys have already touched on, the league takes us seriously. They they thoroughly investigate to come to the right conclusion, good, bad, or indifferent, because we know it's you know innocent until proven guilty. But uh, the the arrows are all pointing to some pretty damning things that uh, you know shame on taxi if it's the truth. You know, I, I I agree with you and Trav. I was I was a fan of what he was doing, but if this is going to be who he is, I I don't know, man. Yeah, and Trav is our residential pro analyst pro ref analyst here and i can't remember the the ref's name but i will say i mean he, he did a pretty bang up job of identifying the situation at hand and then immediately following the mls protocols on a racial abuse situation i believe the referee was ismail elfaf and uh, i said in the discord before the game elfaf is one of the probably better MLS referees and he's by far one of the most experienced mm-hmm. and even just being a casual observer I said to the friend that I was at the match with when all of this happened my first thing was this has to be a comment that was made on the field for a play to just stop the way it did yeah. and I said to her the protocols in MLS are exactly what happened. You stop the match, you talk to both coaches, you talk to both captains, you say, this is, if the referee didn't hear it, this is what we hear happened, what do you want to do about it? And as DeAndre Yedlin said post-game, you know, Miami was considering walking off the field. They were ready to leave. And To hear that from a guy like DeAndre Yedlin, who's clearly a leader on this team, shows you just how greatly affected they were by this. And I think, you know, all the credit in the world to Wayne Rooney, who talked to Phil Neville and saw the reactions of our players and said, you know, first chance I get, I'm subbing him off. Uh, Obviously, there's a little bit of a delay, but that's due to just the way that the laws of the game are worded. But, you know, credit to Rooney where it is. He subbed him off. He said something to him on the sideline and allowed the game to continue because I believe that if there was any other coach in the league and they said, no, I'm not taking him off, I firmly believe Miami would have walked off the field and said, screw it. And, you know, we'll take one point in a critical. Considering that they're considering. Yeah, go ahead. I'm hearing a little bit of a sketchy mic sound coming from you, but um, the fact that they were ready to forfeit that game and walk off the walk off the pitch, considering that we're literally fighting for our lives to make the playoffs, that, that's just another level of of just reaffirmation that they heard what they heard. And I've been nothing but critical of basically all the the pro refs that we've got a good ref this time. Like no, they're all they're all shit. They made so many uh, bad calls in my eyes in, in the past you know three years since since we've been playing here. But on this one particular instance, was was very impressed. Followed the the law to the letter, executed everything, and now it's in the MLS's hands. And we'll see. 
you know, how the, uh, how the investigation uh, goes. And, uh, you know, Than, I think you joined just a, a little bit late there, but what was your, your biggest takeaway all in all from, from this game? Uh, well, before you know, I jumped into that, I, I did want to say I think one of the big things we need to put a spotlight on is how the players handled it. Um, I, I'm really impressed that the players didn't let it get out of hand. They re- they remember that they are uh, bigger than what happened on the field, and they are role models to countless individuals out there who, who are watching them. It could have turned ugly. Uh, we've seen it in Europe where what whatever phrase was flung instantly – has everybody seeing red and rightfully so, but definitely want to, you know, shout out to them. They, they handled it exactly how they should have without it getting uh, <clears throat> too heated. Um, but getting away from the ugly events, I'd say my biggest takeaway is it's kind of something you guys touched on as I jumped on quick. Um, the midfield definitely was disconnected. They were able to find their footing after the Benteke goal, as you guys said, and they were able just to find that last little, I believe magic. Right at, right at the death, as we've been doing all year. Uh, it, it shows that we're, we're, we're in for a, a fun last three games of the season. Good, bad, or ugly, it's going to be a hell of a finale. So uh, definitely looking forward to it. So um, if I can uh, interject here, uh, I just have like a quick question, and then I have like a little bit of a takeaway. Um, my question is, if we forfeit it, would there? I don't. I'm not sure about the MLS rules because you know MLS has some weird rules out there. If we forfeited, would we um, would have just not played all 34 matches and leave it at 33, or would have there been a makeup match? Or I, I'm not sure what what the rules are. Uh, per MLS rules, we would have uh, more likely than not lost any points from that match. And it would have been called a 3-0 forfeit until, you know, MLS investigates and says, you know, this happened or that happened. Uh, Would it have been rescheduled? I would have a hard time seeing that just because we have already such a condensed schedule in these final two weeks. I mean, Miami plays... I think just over the next 10 days when we get back from the international break, not even in the next seven days post-international break, we play three games. So it would have been extremely difficult for it to be rescheduled. I do believe that in a situation like that, MLS would have, you know, made it work, but it definitely would have been an interesting and difficult situation for the league to kind of figure out. Okay, and all right, thank you. Uh, I really just didn't know. Okay, so I was not surprised of how we started. Um, our away games are, mm, you know, mm, you know how we start. Um, they've never been really good, so we've been consistent in that. But I'm really happy. You know, I hate just looking back at last season and say we're better. We're better than last season because that bar is really low. But still, we showed our fight. We showed our grit. We showed our togetherness. You know, Phil Neville likes to use that buzzword and the never say die attitude. Um, He uses those words like an Englishman saying cup final, but it's true. Um, I was just really happy of how we just, just got back. I was, 
I was just a little disappointed of just how we gave up easy goals, um, like Lois sleeping. And, a, and the second one was just an unfortunate deflection um, off of low. You know, it, it, it is what it, that one, it is what it is. Drake had that. He had that. But it, it just took a slight turn and it went in the back of the net. And it was a great volley from Puntas. Um, I just wanted to say, from my angle, to your point, Drake did have that covered. Um, and, and to compound on top of that, Drake was actually getting after a lot of these guys uh, in D.C. Like he, he could see them falling asleep. He could see them being lackadaisical. And it, it wasn't Zen Drake. I will be honest with you. I did not see Zen Drake uh, quite a few times. It was hands clapping, barking from the back. Not even, not even just leadership, but straight like ag- aggression at some point. Yeah. Trav, I don't know if you saw that or anybody else who was there saw that, but it was, uh, it was. I, I like seeing that side of Drake a little bit. Don't get me wrong. I love Zen Master, but like, let's get moving. Yeah. Um, by the way, Jake, I think your mic is on. Um, and I got some, anyway, um, I, I will fully admit, I will say this, I will used to be Marsman's biggest agent. I loved Marsman. I, I don't know. It's maybe because my girlfriend kind of looks like Marsman or something like that. And she would always go, Oh my God, it's Nick Marsman. But either way, I loved his distribution. I, his shot stopping was okay, but. I just really liked him as a goalkeeper, but after I saw Drake, Drake's like resurgence, because I remember like, yeah, I would say like it's a resurgence because his form was, after getting like a long stretch like he did, it was, there were some, there were some uh, goals that he gave up. I was like, he, he could have had that. And then, um, but especially at the beginning of the year, everybody remembers like he, he was rough, but but now, like, he took, like, what, two games off? I guess we can joke around, but maybe this actually happened. He just sat down and meditated for for two weeks straight, and look at him. He Like, that Columbus game, oh, my God, that what was it, 94th-minute save? Marsman wouldn't have gotten that, if I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah. That, that, that was a great, great save. And, and he also made some other ones in this game. I was like, oh, my God. He's back to his form again. He's like he's back in form, and and I'm just gonna say he he's gonna be our number one in the future. He, if if anything like happens to him or something like if this, something dire happens to him, I hope not in the last three games. Um, and regardless, I think he is most improved, and I think this was his breakout season, like most improved on the team. And I think he, um, I, I think he, I just think he's great. <laughs> I, I, that that's it. I mean, I'm going to lead the charge on being the one who was the most critical of Drake and now being probably one of his biggest supporters. Uh, I I would agree with you. Definitely most improved. My biggest concern moving forward is his distribution. Uh, There seemed like a lot of times where he was too hesitant to get the ball out of the box quickly. He would try to let it fly, and it would – I mean, there was a couple ones I think he was – it was while he was down on our end in the first half, he tried to hit him out wide right, and then all of a sudden they were in the stands, or the balls were being picked off. And I'm not saying it's all his fault, but 
the distribution side is is something that I know Jay and myself, Trav, you know, we've been picking apart for a while now, at least the past few games. Um, and and for him to take that next step and be an elite goalkeeper in this league, he's going to have to really work on that this off season. But uh, all in all, I would definitely say most improved and uh, a leader going forward. Hopefully, yeah, you Look could it. you could see that he that there are going to be that there are going to be moments where someone's going to catch him sleeping on a pass, right? Where it's played back and and he's going to make that mistake that leads to a goal. So I, I agree, Tim. Like that's something that, but that's a next season, that's an off season thing for him to work on. Um, but his shot stopping has been phenomenal, and I think when we look at the two weeks that he took off, or the two matches that he took off, and and, and Marsman got back in, I really think looking at it that it was Neville saying, "Okay, Nick, you're healthy. I'm going to give you the shot here," and Nick just didn't do it, and he didn't. I mean. He, he looked like Fabian Barthez, you know, like just playing out of his mind, out of his box and just not under control. And, you know, the, the, the results kind of bore that out, unfortunately. But but yeah, I mean, I think Drake has really proven himself to be solid in the back. A, you know, you know, he really kind of, I think, calms down and leads the back line really well. And, and that's what seeing him in person um and watching him be able to do that stuff off the ball uh, that I just didn't have an appreciation for, you know, watching, you know, watching the games from home. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. He's going to be, he should be the keeper for the future and and for next season. I will. Yeah. My biggest kind of takeaway with Drake is, oh, he's obviously our most improved player this year, especially after the preseason he had, which was downright ugly. And, you know, I think week after week, he's approved on the little things. Oh, he's obviously an elite shot stopper. And I believe he's one of the best shot stoppers in the league right now. Correct. Distribution is what's held him back and what will probably continue to hold him back. But I do think that a full summer of, being our bonafide number one keeper, you know, unless we bring somebody in, which I can't see us doing, uh, he'll be able to work on that distribution with somebody like Nick Marsman or, you know, work on exactly that with our goalkeeping staff. So he, you know, for me, he's far and away our starting keeper and will be. And I think he's one that very easily could, age like fine wine and I'll only get better from here. Yeah. And I mean, the, the distribution has been something that we've, we've known throughout the season, right? That's kind of his, his Achilles heel here. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know, there's quite a bit you can learn from Marsman. You can really focus on that on the off season. He's still really young. So he's got a lot of years. He's not even in his prime yet. So it's a lot of years to get there. I think it's only green pastures for, for Drake. Um, you know, I, I hope he is our keeper for the future until, you know, Real Madrid wants to buy him or something like that. Or you go to a shot with one of the, you know, EPL clubs or, or, or something like that. But if he can hone those pieces of his game, then he's going to be a, a probably, you know, top two or three keeper in the league pretty consistently, I would imagine. I, I got I to gotta rewind this back real quick. Did we just get a, 
a comparison for Nick Marsman to Bartez? Yeah, I don't know who I don't know who that is. Fabian Bartez <laughs> is a World Cup winning goalkeeper. Le Devin Chauve, the glorious you- bald one. And Nick Marsman <laughs> is nowhere near that. I I just I had to put some respect on the, the French World Cup European Championship and Confederation Cup winner on that miraculous nineteen ninety eight French squad. Just had to go right. back and do that quick. He, he was also a madman fan and would do things team. out of control. <laughs> and that's what Marsman, that's the aspect of Bartez's game that, that Marsman was reminding me of. Just, just, just playing completely wild. Um, but yes, I mean, I'm not saying that Marsman is, is of the quality of a Bartez, but that's what he reminded me of uh, no, during, some, uh, during points. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I just had to get a laugh out of him. I mean, the man was a madman. He gave up being a goalkeeper to go race Porsche cars after the fact. So, I mean, dude was all over the place. But, you know, not every day you get a Bartez reference in conversation. So, I appreciate that. Not to make you guys feel old or anything, but 1998, I was right, so let's, uh, let's move forward here. Um, before we get to the, I feel the remaining – the remaining games in the in the push. I mean, you you want to feel old? There's a very old player uh, in soccer years terms, not not actual uh, life terms, but this uh, the Sergio Busquets little rumor we're hearing about how he's declining the uh, two year contract with Barcelona, and it looks like I mean I, this has kind of caught me off guard. I know that there's a rumor there, but you know th- there's some some. When Forbes reports it, I feel like, you know, outside of the whole Messi um, debacle earlier this year where everyone reported on it, I feel like this one's got some got some weight and got some legs to run here. Um, you know, he would be a pretty massive uh, improvement on that, that defensive midline that we have right now. Um, who, who are we benching if Busquets comes? Are we keeping Mota or are we keeping Gregory? Mota. Bench Mota. Um keep Gregory because he's been our anchor. He's been our enforcer. Um, I know you can say that about Busquets, but like you can't take... They're both captains. That's that's just what makes this really hard. I don't know if there's going to be some sort of power struggle when Busquets gets here um, because they're both captains. Gregory's a captain here and Busquets was the captain at Barcelona for who knows how many years, probably longer than I've been born. But like I just it's if it works out great, and if they can all get along, like we don't have like an Iguain situation where he just has a bad attitude and it takes him forever to get moving, and then you know he gets out of fitness. I don't think that'll happen, but you know we've had some bad luck with old Euro stars. There's always that hanging over us. But if if everything turns out to be right, I would not be opposed to it. Also, not a DP deal. I think, you know, early today when I first heard the news and uh, Fabricio reported it, uh, I was against it at the time because, oh, I, I don't want another, you know, aging Eurostar coming here. It's the last few years of their career. You know, they could care less. Uh, but over the day and as I've had time to think about it, I really wouldn't mind Sergio Busquets. He's arguably still one of the premier true center defensive mids in the world. 
And, you know, we've seen this year that somebody like Gregory, who, when he joined us, was a CDM. He was a six. We've seen him over this year become more of a number eight. You know, he's getting forward more often. He's pressing in the opponent's third more often. He's become a lot more of an eight while we've seen somebody like Malta play the six. So I think that somebody like Busquets, who's just world-class at a dying uh, role, really could benefit this side. I does just... he follow in the footsteps of Iniesta or Xavi or any of the other ones who have left and then gone to other leagues to, to prove their medal and, and had great, great success? I hope so. I really do hope so. But having this big Eurostar thing, it begs the question, is this a Hendo Henderson move? Because we all know how good he is at the helm. You know, we love Henderson. Everybody, everybody does. But was this more of a push by Henderson or was this more of an ownership thing? Because for Inter Miami, we're, we're more pop, like, obviously we're more popular than Colorado Rapids. I can't even name a player on the Colorado Rapids team. But I guess I think the ownership just needs that face of the club. I just really think that that's what they want and the format of it is. Because once Iguain retires, nobody's going to say Gene Mota is the face of our club. Like Campana could be, but that's not global. I'm just thinking of this not as a sporting director, but as David Beckham. I don't know if that makes sense. I personally think it is a continuation to try and keep the link between this club and Barcelona alive. Um, it, it seems like, uh, you know, I forget the name of the gentleman we brought over to do a lot of our stuff, but he came from Barcelona and that we're just trying to keep this, this, this bridge connected between two clubs. Uh, it's a shaky bridge. It's, it's made with some really rotted out two by fours and pieces of string at this point. But um, for me, I'm not really sold on the idea still. It would have to be the right financial and contractual deal for me to feel okay with it. If that also came with a, hey, you play for us for a year, you become a role player in year two, and then we bring you onto the coaching staff or something like that, I'd be all for it. But I, I just don't want to waste another spot on a DP who's aging like we we all have we all have ptsd on this we, we we don't need to go through it again um so like i said for me i i would have to say pass unless the deal is the perfect thing for the club 100 percent all the way around i think the consideration for the team is how do you attract a global audience while at the same time being able to be an attractive, winning, and successful team in the MLS, right? This team wants trophies. We want to win cups. We want to put ourselves on the global stage. Buying buying names isn't necessarily going to do that. It will get you in the headlines, but it's not going to keep you there. Um, and I, you know, uh, I, I agree with you, Dan. I'm not necessarily sold on the idea yet. If we were going to grab anybody from Barcelona, why didn't we go and get Ricky Puig? You know, like that kid, that's the kid where th this can be a transformative player right now. 
has the has the connection with the club and is someone who you can then transform into a superstar and sell on. Um, and that's, I think, you know, that's the consideration that, you know, I think Moss and Beckham and Hendo are all probably trying to figure out what the calculation is to get them you know, to get this squad there. Um, you know, as far as who do we drop, it's got to be Mota, you know, I mean, of, of unfortunately, I mean, he's played well, but if you're going to bring him on, that's, that's the player that gets dropped. You can't drop, you're not going to drop your captain um, who's been, who has been a rock for two years through thick and thin, um, you know, for a 34 year old, who plays, you know, who plays a similar position, regardless of, of, uh, you know, his pedigree. I, you just, you just can't drop him unless you're going to sell Gregory for, you know, a lot of money. But I just can't see Henderson being okay with that, considering how long it's been that he pursued Gregory and, and how he's the player that he's really wanted. Gregory, very valid point. Un- very, very valid point about how long he's pursued. Uh, and all that you follow up here, but uh, I will throw out there, you know, it, it is going to make it more attractive for Messi to come and get the re, you know, yes. reunite with his, uh, with yes. his old homie. And then Stop it. we get Messi. I'm not giving up on the dream. I'm keeping it alive. It's all me. Yes. Yes. I a hundred percent agree. I am your cheerleader on that. Anything yeah. for Messi to come here, anything. I mean, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I want to be able to afford tickets without having to sell what's remaining of one of my kidneys if Messi were to show up. Um, but what I was going to say about Gregory, and then I got to hop off here, boys, but I think if they make the mistake of selling Gregory and bringing in Busquets, that's going to have a extreme negative impact on the fans. Uh, you don't hear much bad verbiage towards Gregory in any way, shape, or form for the most part. Uh, he has been our rock. He has been our uh, pit bull in the middle, the the the, the enforcer in, in the midfield. Uh, I just don't – I don't see him being dropped, nor do I see him being sold. He is one of the ones that is time and time again adored by the fan base for the work that he puts in and uh, constantly padding our favorite stat at the Inter-Miami podcast – the yellow card race. So, uh, but with that, boys, I got to bounce. Still not feeling great. Trav, again, I appreciate you filling in for me. And I'll catch you boys later. Thanks, guys. Um, so Feel better, buddy. Um, feel better. This is Drake Callender, and you've been listening to the Inner Mammy Podcast. In my opinion, Gregory is undroppable. I, I, this team will not be the same without him. I just feel it. Like, he's not a player who scores goals or gives assists, right? But you can just feel his energy, right? You can just feel him watching it. I, he's, I know he's not no DP, no Tam, not the face of our club, but he's, him and Drake are our dark horses of the club. No, nobody says... Gregory and Drake Callender are our danger boys for Inter Miami, right? But they, they're just undroppable, especially Gregory. Like, he's our anchor, he's our captain, he's our pit bull, he's our enforcer. It, it just makes me think, like, what's he thinking, like, when he scrolls through his socials and he sees Sergio Busquets, the Inter Miami. I don't think Henderson in a million years 
would sell him or drop or drop him to the bench or anything like that. I just do not see that scenario happen. If that happens, that is not a Henderson move. That is a somebody else move. And now I don't like them if that happens. I do think that, you know, Gregory is undroppable. You know, he's the captain and uh, one of the faces of the club. But bringing in somebody like a Busquets, I think, would almost free up Gregory to play more of his pit bull style. Oh, these first two seasons of Gregory, he hasn't really had that ability. You know, he's been a pit bull, but he hasn't been able to do it in the attacking third because he's always had to come back to help out the defense and have defensive responsibilities. I think somebody like a Busquets would take that away from him and let him go out and press and force opponents into errors so that we can attack from higher up the pitch and stay higher up the pitch for longer. So for the right money, I don't want Busquets as a DP. I think he'd be a good signing if he comes on one of those LAFC or LA Galaxy, you know, TAM in quotation marks uh, contracts. And, you know, I think he would help this team. I think he's probably going to be just as much of a marketing signing as he will be a player signing, but I'm definitely not as against it as I was at 8 a.m. this morning before my morning coffee. Yeah, we need, we need a face of the club. That's, I think that's what Beckham is going for. He, he, like, we can't slap on a poster board uh, uh, making up a player. Ryan Saylor, like, we can't. All respect to Saylor. Saylor, my boy. But he, he's just, you know, he, he doesn't have that fame and, you know, that whole, that whole thing. I think that's the model they're going for. At least one old Eurostar um, on the team at some point or another. But one that I wouldn't mind is Giroud. Giroud. Oh, yes. Olivier Giroud, where if, uh, if you're not part of the Inter-Miami podcast Discord earlier today, I said that if there's one out-of-contract player in our Miami should look at signing, it's Olivier Giroud. Uh, as many know, I'm French, big fan of the French national team. I love Olivier Giroud. I give him credit for France winning in the World Cup a few years ago. But uh, oh, he's somebody that I think would be a perfect backup to Leo Campana if Gonzalo decides to call it quits at the end of this year. But... I feel like that's a little bit of a sidetrack. I could go on about Giroud forever and then receive hate mail on my DMs for a couple of weeks afterwards. But uh, you know, now Miami, to kind of pivot away from that, we head into arguably the most crucial stretch of the season here. We come back from the international break and play away at Toronto. And then our final two matches of the season, home against Orlando, home against Montreal. Miami could, in theory, clinch a playoff spot before decision day against Montreal, but with wins against Toronto and Orlando and a couple of other results going their way. So Miami has kind of everything to play for in these next couple of games and these next couple of weeks. So how are we feeling after, you know, kind of a 
a poor stretch where Miami lost three straight and then a uh, stretch now where Miami in one week has won two games and managed to climb all the way back up into a playoff spot. Uh, I'm going to let Hooligan, Hooligan, I'm going to let you speak. I've seen you put your hands up a few times. Hey, thanks. Um, so, so I, I don't want to be a downer. Um, personally, I'm a little bit um, nervous about Toronto because um, the last time out we played. There, I agree. Brad, I agree. Bradley was pretty. Um, he was pretty pivotal, uh, pivotal in transition right before it led to that insane goal. Um, and, you know, despite Toronto losing their last match, if you, if you look at how they, they lined up and where their, their players were the strongest, Ensign and Bernadeschi, um, are, are pretty strong. Um, obviously they've got the European pedigree, but, uh, more in the position that they're playing. Uh, I think if they line up the same, they can, um, catch us out because I, I don't know everyone's thoughts on on Yedlin. I, I haven't really um, followed followed your podcast all, all too closely, but um, Yedlin gives me um, a lot of anxiety defensively on his overlapping runs. He he just seems to kind of want to just look to his right rather than looking back towards goal and realizing when players are moving quickly in transition. Um, I feel like we can get caught out on wing play, so despite Toronto getting thrashed last game, I really hope their, their morale is just totally in the toilet. But um, that just gives me a little bit of concern because Yedlin does like to play two forward. And when you have two European pedigree attackers playing on the wing, and that's not really where our, our game is the strongest. I know we're really strong in the central central pitch. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned, but I do think we can pull it out. But I mean, looking at how dicey this last game was against overwhelmingly the worst team in the Eastern Conference. Um, and if we still just barely got it over the line. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, that game, the scenario that I think Trav was saying um, about us making the playoffs, I have it, I think, right here. Yes. Uh, we would have to make uh, – hello? Wow. Get six points across these next two games – and Columbus has to lose one of their next three games. So if we get six points in two and they drop one, we clinch a playoff spot. So that's, so that's the scenario he was saying, I think. And uh, harping on your Yedlin, uh, what you said about Yedlin, um, I call him Midlin because he is mid. Um, I just <laughs> he, – he, he's so mid. I thought Cotton he was going to be like the best. I, I, I can. Uh, I'm not. I'm Arsenal not fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm not hearing any lies here. But he's just like. Uh, I thought he would have been the best right back in the league. I guess we just hyped him up too much. But damn, he's so mid. Like, oh my god. I I look at him play. And I'm like, damn, he's fast. But oh my god, he's so mid. Um. It, it, I would just—he makes me nervous. That you're an Arsenal fan, and there was a game where you said that uh, Kieran Gibbs would come on and be our savior, and then he immediately missed a pretty wide open net. So I'm not sure how relevant your point is. Uh, but 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 you got him. But 
but you're a Tottenham fan, and you were saying all beautiful things about Olivier Giroud. All right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, well, but- listen, I like Olivier Giroud. Arsenal Olivier Giroud is mid, and I like France Olivier Giroud. Hey, hey, you know what happened I to like the French players Olivier on our Giroud. team? You want to know what happened with all the French players? Blaze, ooh, we'll see what happened to him. Coco, he like died or something. And Iguain is also French, and remember him for a year and a half. I, I, we, bad, bad history with French players. I, I know, um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But Midland, eh, he's better as a wing back than a fullback. If he, I don't know how he's still making the United States roster playing like this, but ah, it, it's just, <clears throat> he's just, anyway, I can go like for days about him. But uh, I just, the games, games against teams that are eliminated from the playoffs are still dangerous because they're going to play their academy players and partially their starting 11. But those academy players will want to make a statement and say, I want to be in the first team. I deserve a spot on this first team, right? And they're going to play like animals. They're going to play like just they're just going to go all out. Like, you're going to see, like, crazy stuff. Because I think Toronto's academy is pretty good. I've heard some good things about them. So, I wouldn't just go on a high horse and say, we're going to win this match. I am... If we get a point, I'll be happy. If we just... We just can't lose. We just can't lose. We can't afford another loss. It's going to be a good game, you know, regardless. But, yeah, uh, definitely some some improvements that need to be made. And, um, you know, he's played good sometimes and he's played bad some other times, but I'm not necessarily scared about Toronto's Academy. I mean, I understand wanting to, to prove yourselves and, you know, make the first team, but you're still going against a team that is playing the game of their lives for the next three games as we are pushing for the playoffs. So I'll take whoever they want to throw up from their Academy or whoever they want to call up from Toronto to, because they're still going to have to defend Gonzalo, Campano, Pozuelo, and 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 take on our team of, of first team starters. So I'm less concerned about that. It's not going to be a cakewalk, although I think it's probably going to be the easiest of the three games we play. That Orlando game is going to be extremely competitive, especially considering if Orlando maybe drops the the, the game. I think they're playing, if I'm not mistaken, NYCFC before they come in there. Um, so that's obviously going to be a, a beast of its own considering they're going to want to make the playoffs as well as it being a rivalry game. And then of course, finishing out the season with Montreal and, you know, some people are saying, well, Montreal will probably sit their starters. I don't see that happening. They're what five points off Philly, who is leading the race for the supporters shield right now. So if Philly drops a game and Montreal wins a the game, they're only going to be two points away from potentially winning the MLS Cup. It's going to be a very interesting finish. But right now, I mean, everything is in our hands, right? If we win out, then we're in. I mean, no yeah. one's going to be able to, to, to get ahead of us. But it's going to be going to be some nerve-wracking moments, right? I mean, I know it's always kind of people say the heart attack herons. That's going to be amplified because we know exactly what's on the line. And these games are going to – get to the to the must-win situation, and especially those last two games. And any time this season, we've been basically in a, a massive game, some of these six-point games or games that 
you know, I've said a few times, like it's a must win. This is going to separate us from the the rest of that, that middle pack of the Eastern conference. And every time we fumbled the bag. And so that's kind of what I'm most nervous about going into this final, final stretch here. Orlando is going to be the game. Orlando is going to be the game of the year. Um, Agreed. I, yeah. I really think so. It's a Derby match. It's a rivalry match, which is also Derby. It's at home. I know the U.S. Open Cup was kind of like that, but we didn't really go with our full starting 11 guns blazing. But we're fighting for a playoff spot. They're fighting for a home, uh, for a home, uh, what do you call it, home playoff match. Like, this is the Man City versus United of Inter-Miami right now. This is the Tottenham versus Arsenal who's the champions of the, of, the, of the league. Like, this is the game. Out of all the games, Orlando versus Miami is the most important one. I'm excited, and I'm really – like, I have just, like, butterflies in my stomach because it, it's the rivalry match that finally feels like a rivalry. This is the match. This is the match I can say, F you, Orlando, or I can really start <laughs> hitting it up on Twitter because – I, it's just, this is the match. This is the rivalry match I've been waiting for all year. And I've been preaching this since, since like the probably first third of our season is that I want this game to be the game where if we beat them, we jump them or knock them out of the playoffs. So if we can have the other mid teams win and there's somehow the situation arises where we get to beat them at home and knock them out of the playoffs or at least push them out of the playoff line so that Columbus can come in and finish strong on decision day, man, that would make up for all of the, the, the bitterness that I have this season when we played Orlando, especially in the cup in the, in that cup game where we went up and conceded right away. We went to PKs, our first ever PK shootout and just underperformed Yedlin Bryce, Midland. W2F were those. Yeah, Midland. Yeah, this this is the revenge game of all revenge games. And it's we're lucky. We're lucky that this is going to be a home game because it is going to be probably the rowdiest game in our club's history. Maybe the outside only... of that play-in round against Cincinnati and like the tsunami, but this one's about to be real hyped. I, I extra problem, the only problem of this game, it was, it was scheduled on a Saturday, but MLS decided to be MLS. And just put it on a Wednesday because they can't let their MLS team lose the U.S. Open Cup. And if they dare lose, oh, my God, the bad media around MLS. Oh, it just oh, it makes me hate the league even more. <laughs> so yeah. not, not to take away from the, the Orlando game. But don't forget that like, don't, this Toronto game is a trap game. And it is a major, major trap game because when we beat them at home, we sent them like well on their way to being eliminated from the playoffs. They are going to come out wanting to spoil it for us. And yep. that's, and this is their opportunity to do it. And so, but the good news is they're kind of shit. They are. <laughs> yes. Know? Yes. But so are we. At times, yeah, it goes like, both ways. We're not that bad, though. Okay, but but there but there's a but there's a scenario that exists where you know we dropped we dropped to to Toronto, and we could be sealing our our fate with regards to the playoffs. Yeah, um, and that's and like 
And then they could make that Orlando game not as important. You know, like it, it, we may be relying on two or three other teams to do things for us to get us into a position to make it rather than we, we, we take care of business on the road in Toronto. We come home, we, you know, we, we stomp a mud hole in, in Orlando. We finally take, you know, this rivalry by the scruff of the neck. And then we move on to that last match against Montreal. And we feel we can feel confident because Montreal's not necessarily going to be playing for much, right? Like, they'll know whether or not they're going to be a contender for the shield. They're not, um, they're going to have a home. They're going to have home matches. So, you know, they're not going to have a whole lot on the line on decision day. Um, but we need to put ourselves in the position to, to execute so that that Orlando game, that second game, this next three game window is the most important game of the season. But if we fail to do our job, you know, in game one, it's not going to feel that great going into into that midweek match yeah, yeah and keep... it certainly doesn't help that you know the mls reschedules our orlando game to basically help orlando and then they reschedule it and it kind of hurts us because we're going to play Montreal toronto on a friday short week right midweek game and then in only four more days we're having to finish out against montreal which is fighting for the supporter shield. So they're going to come out with their top lineup, I think. And we're going to have a really short, short recovery times and short preparation compared to, you know, the typical one game a week format here. And that, that's just kind of frustrating. All that just to save Orlando from losing to the mighty, mighty Sacramento Republic. Yeah. And, and quickly back to Toronto, Toronto, you know, is kind of shit. Uh, Oh, in their last three games, they've allowed four goals in every single game. Uh, this past Saturday, they played and lost to Orlando 4-0. Before that, they played and lost to Atlanta 4-2. And then before that, they played and I think fumbled two different leads to Montreal at home in what was a thriller for Montreal to win 4-3. So... As much as they've brought in talent and attacking talent, they did nothing about their defense, which is arguably one of the worst in the league, if not the worst defense in the league. And you know, as much as it's a trap game, goals are going to be here for Miami. Miami's going to have the chance to show just how talented that trio of Campana, Gonzalo, and Pozuelo all are. Yeah. And, and it's a Pozuelo revenge game for his first return to Toronto since being traded. That's a really good point. And, and Campana's healthy. Campana's healthy, too. And Campana's healthy. But but here's the thing. is We're going to have to score. I don't think we're going to be able to squeak by with just a, a one-goal game. We're going to no, need to, no. to basically set the tone right away. Not going to have time. We can't risk one of these sketchy you know, 10, 15, 20-minute starts to a game where we're discombobulated, not playing United. I mean, it's going to have to be uh, a really well done and very prepared effort by Phil Neville and the boys. And the only good real thing going on right now is that we do have this extended break to prep. I know some people say we typically play like shit after long breaks, but in a crucial must win, kind of win or go home, right? Otherwise, we're really looking for luck from other teams. Boys got to come out on point and just do their thing. 
I think this is going to be I uh, oh, I think this is going to really be like the a high scoring game. I really think so. Both of our defenses are I know their defense is shit, but our defense is shit sometimes. The, their defense is shit all the time. Ours is shit sometimes. That's just the story of both of our team's defenses. Um, I think it's not going to be a game of who can hold the lead. It's who can outscore the other team. That's just really – I know that's literally football and who can outscore the other team, but it's literally emphasizes that point more. Yeah, it could come down to the last goal wins the game. You know, really could. Whoever is the one to score that last goal is probably going to be the one to go up and win. No, and then, I mean, on top of that, you look at the last time Miami played Toronto and, oh, just the way that they won that match. Oh, we won that match in the first half. Literally all three goals were scored before halftime. Oh, Jean Mota with, you know, Alex Bono's oh no howler. and then, Alex Bono's shit. Yes, he is. And, <laughs> Ariel Lassiter off of a, uh, what was it? I think it was a free kick that play in the box. Yeah, there were both sketchy goals, those first two. It was, like, it was, was, a, it was a messy, it was a messy situation. Ah, messy, messy 2023. There we anyway. go. Yeah, there so. we go. Yeah, those were both those goals, like, especially watching from the north stands. Like, like you're, it's kind of harder to really analyze everything. And, and I think on both those goals initially, the the fans thought they were they were stopped and then the stadium just erupted and we're like oh shit we the, those went in like it, it, very very sketchy goals we're gonna have to be much more clean and uh, you know clinical with our finishing I I, I that it was so funny uh, I I sit closer to the north stand so I just see like a sea of bodies just inside the six yard box and everyone started cheering I was like oh what what, what? shit we scored but. Other than that, it, it's just they have danger guys. We have danger guys. Fosquelo is once another crack at them. It, Gonzalo Higuain is healthy. Campana is healthy. Well, Gonzalo Higuain is in great form right now. Um, Campana is back, and it only took him two games to score two goals. Like I know they were scrappy goals, but they're pure nine scores uh, uh, goals, and whatever goals we can get is whatever. Whatever we'll take it. But the only problem is I'm just really hoping our defense just shows up for this game because keep in mind, D.C. didn't score for four goals, for four goals, for four games, and then they scored on us twice. It's, it's going to be – I this is going to be one of the games of the season as well. I just – I really hope they put Alex Bono in goal, you know. Well, and to that point as well, Chicago hadn't scored in, I believe, four games – and then put up three on us. Yeah. So it, it's going to be one of those defining games for our defense. Can a Damian Lowe have one of those live by the low games? Or is he going to have a die by the low game? You live by the low or die by the low. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, this, is, this is why we love the sport. I mean, this is what it's about. Yeah. Everything, Everything's on the table. Our work's cut out for us. We just have to go out there, execute, and get it. Yeah, and then you know, looking at the remainder of the season, obviously Orlando probably going to be the biggest, most intense Inter-Miami against Orlando match. Probably to date, you know, a playoff spot for both sides could be on the line in that match. Uh, Miami, however, is 
in control of their own destiny right now and kind of maintains that control. Uh, a quick glance at the standings show that Miami currently sits in seventh place with 42 points. Uh, the first tiebreaker is wins. Miami has 12 of those. The next three teams below Miami in the standings are Columbus on 42 points, but only nine wi- only nine wins. Atlanta on 40 points and 10 wins. And then Charlotte on 38 points and 12 wins. So Miami- Do we have a game in hand? We only have a game in hand on Atlanta. Columbus and Charlotte have to replay a game from earlier this year that was postponed due to weather. And then above us, Cincinnati plays uh, kind of their game in hand, I believe, on Tuesday of next week against Seattle. And then Orlando, obviously, we had the postponed game against them. So... Miami, as it stands, are in control of their own destiny. And very, very real possibility that, you know, any win, any loss by especially the teams below us and even, you know, Cincinnati or Orlando above us could drastically change these possibilities. You know, uh, know, if Columbus comes out and fumbles the bag against New York Red Bulls when we return from the break. Oh, that could give us an opportunity to come out the same exact time and widen that gap a little bit. And not only widen the gap on points, but widen the gap on wins being the first tiebreaker. Uh, I just really think it's in our hands. I just want to take a minute and reflect on. I don't want to throw the MLS writers under the bus, but I'm just going to throw them under a bulldozer right now and say, ha ha, you guys all thought, except one of them, I forgot their name, thought we would have been wooden spoon contenders with Charlotte FC. They all thought, we proved everyone wrong. This is basically our second inaugural season. And now we're fighting in our playoff for a playoff spot in our last three games of the season. All of this is just a luxury right now. Like, I know I'm like, I wouldn't say, yeah, I guess I am. I'm a little, I'm more critical uh, of the team, just a little more. I just want, it's more of, I just want to see the team win. And I just, it just comes off as very critical. But now it's towards the end of the season and I'm just really, I'm just really happy that we have the luxury this year. Yeah, it feels good. It feels good finally to have a, a competitive and a, and a competent team. And uh, it's going to be a really exciting finish to the, uh, to the end of the year. Not um, that we stated, you know, really, really early on, I think probably the first, maybe second episode of, uh, of this season of the podcast, you know, like what do you consider – uh, you know, a win this season or, or, or at what point are you going to be just really satisfied with the results of this season? And it was make the playoffs, just make the playoffs. Uh, and, and I'll consider that a, a massive win. That's all. I mean, and then, and then we're playing with, with house money at that point, right? I want to make the playoffs depending on where we finish, you know, we'll know who we're matched up with. 
But I, the squad's competitive. Anything can happen in the MLS, and I would really love to see, you know, a, a, a run into the playoffs of at least getting over that first game. But it, here we are. Damn, it feels good. I like. I want it to get here tomorrow. I also want to just take time to enjoy it. I like this extended break where there are no games because we're not. We're just sitting above that playoff line, and you know, there's no results that can come in in the meantime and and really knock us off. So, uh, been a been a good little time enjoying this and. This is what it's all about, man. We're, we're, we're very, very fortunate to finally have a team like this, and the um, future is going to be very bright. Go for it, Hooligan. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think it's pretty clear that Orlando is going to make or break our, our playoff chances, but um, really Montreal is the, the only game that, that I actually care about because I'm just going to assume that we're going to be uh, the next uh, – we're going to win the next two games. But Montreal is going to be the test of whether or not it's even what, worth watching or, or attending playoffs because we've got the worst defensive record uh, of, of all the teams in the Eastern Conference besides Toronto and D.C. United. And Montreal are very free scoring. So that's going to be the biggest test. Like, it, I mean, we may be able to make playoffs, but like my, the, how inflated my balloon is going to be is going to be seeing the way we match up against Montreal. So. If yeah. my if my hunch is correct, I I think, all right. Correct me if I'm wrong, Trav. But if we finish seventh and Montreal finishes second, obviously we make the playoffs. We have to play it away. We play against the second seed, right? Yes, we would play again in that scenario. We would play against Montreal in Montreal. So I guess it's like a cool preview match. Like if we make the playoffs and if the scenario happens, I'm just dreaming here that we make six points over the next two games and Columbus drops a game. And now, now it's a test because I'm pretty sure Montreal has that second spot locked. Um, I don't think New York Red Bulls will catch up to them. I don't know. But if that happens, it'll just be like, it'll almost be like a two leg final. Obviously it's not like that, but it's just like, we're, we're going to be playing Montreal. It, it is a very likely scenario. That we're gonna end up being, uh, that we're gonna end up play. Wow, we're gonna end up playing Montreal twice in a row. So and that that's in the seven the seven spot gets Montreal or gets number two. Yeah. So as yeah. it stands, Montreal does have the second seed locked up. Uh, New York Red Bulls, New York FC are both nine points or more behind them with only two matches remaining. Yeah. So the first and second seed in the East are pretty much locked up. I can't see Montreal winning both of their remaining games while Philly, you know, loses or draws one of, you know, loses and draws one of them. So since he's got a very friendly schedule finishing with Chicago and DC United. Philly, Philly, not Cincy. No, Cincy finishes with Chicago and DC United is what I'm saying. Philly finishes with Charlotte and Toronto. Mm-hmm. So Montreal is going to be that second seed. Uh, I've kind of preached for a while that if there's a seed I want, I want to be in the sixth seed. I want to play New York Red Bulls away from home. We're not getting a home playoff match at this point. Uh unless NYCFC manages to completely fumble the bag. But 
if there's a matchup that I want, it's New York Red Bulls away from home. I know our history there hasn't been great, but New York Red Bulls have not been a great home team this year. And I feel like playing in New York will be a lot more favorable to us than in Montreal. Yeah, I'll take either New York team. Either New York team. That would be my preference right now. I would not take NYCFC. Yankee Stadium is god-awful. God-awful. They won't Um, be playing in Yankee Stadium in the playoffs, so. Oh, that's interesting. Why why is that? I I don't know. Uh, Yankees are going to make the playoffs, right? that the reason no because i think that their their next home game they're playing in red bull i think they played their last game of the season in yankee stadium that lot this weekend yeah last weekend yeah jesus jesus oh nycfc is homeless fc october (laughs) 2nd their final home game of the season they do play at red bull arena uh i believe their backups are it's Yankee Stadium, Red Bull Arena, and City Field are their three potential spots to play. Okay. FC. So, but NYCFC is probably, in the eyes of New York, their least important team, especially with, I believe, the Yankees who are going to make the playoffs. I heard something about Aaron Judge and home runs and triple crown. And, but, <clears> uh, yeah, I, I think Stanton just had like a walk-off grand slam in the ninth, or one of their players did. I've never seen a baseball match in my life, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I could honestly care less about baseball, but if the Yankees and the Mets, by some work of God, both make the playoffs, uh, the NYCFC will be forced to find a home, whether that's Red Bull Arena or playing on a night that either the Yankees or the Mets aren't playing at Yankee Field or uh, City Field. So, again, my preference is the Red Bulls. I rather play them at home. I rather play in an actual soccer stadium and not be guessing up until three days beforehand where, you know, where the hell we're playing. We'll see how it uh, how it all shakes out. Stay patient. I look forward to uh, to being back. Throwing up that stadium is going to be a good finish. I uh, I went downstairs to be closer to the router uh, because it's not that strong <laughs> my parents' house. But uh, just want to thank everyone. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get off here. The phone's about to die. If you guys want to stay on, hang out, chat a little longer, feel free. But uh, thank you for everyone for tuning in. Thank you, Traveler, for uh, assisting us yet again on another week. I've been enjoying this. I'll pay you back and uh, promise I'll be sitting in on many more Traveler chats. But thank you for everybody. Uh, before I leave, as always, I say vamos Miami. Vamos Miami. See you, Jay.